hello and welcome to episode 144 of the 1099 for the week of April 16th, 2018. I'm your host, Josiah Renauden, and with me today is the former vice president of production at Disney Interactive Studios, a formerly designer and product strategist at Midway, a legend of the Giant Bomb community, and maybe the only truly pure human we have left in 2018, the <laughs> recently married John Vignacchi. John, how are you doing what today? Up? I'm doing good, man. How are you? I'm <laughs> doing great. Uh it's again i was just joking with like off recording with you it feels like i already know you and it's that like that's maybe the the, one of the weirdest giant bomb effects of you hear these people all the time and you see them and then suddenly you're talking to them and you're like i almost called you johnny i'm like i don't even know if you'd want me to call you johnny i've never uh, talked to you before it's funny my so my friends my friends call me johnny um growing up i was always johnny because my father uh is john vignaki um and so it was funny so when i was at midway Everyone would call me Johnny or Johnny V. Um, and then when I went to Disney, it became John because just it's such a huge company, you know, calling, oh, hey, I'm Johnny V. It just makes you sound very, <laughs> very juvenile. But it's funny because obviously Giant Bomb um, community and, of course, all the great guys that are there and that have been there um, know me as Johnny because, you know, they knew me back in my midway days. So you can call me Johnny. Um uh, oh, did we just hit friend status? Can I make we this did. the official time of the oh, podcast? Yeah, we hit yeah. friend status. Yeah, friend this is amazing. There it is. Right. Like, if I, if I could hang this moment on my fridge, I would do that. Ah, uh, you, you did mention Giant Bomb, and people who are Giant Bomb fans, of course, care about your life. They care about what's going on with you. And anyone who follows you know you just got married. I so did. Actually, I have so many questions, and I won't like go way too personal. But like, no, I mean, you can go as personal as you want. Um, you know, there's stuff where I'm obviously like, oh, I can't talk about that or I'm comfortable. <laughs> like, you know, I'll let you know. But yeah, the, the, the Giant Bomb community, I love um, I love everybody that's a part of that community. And I love the guys that, you know, put that together. And um, it's funny because I just got back from GDC and there are so many different times where people walked up to me. It was like, hey, you know, you're John, right? I'm like, yeah. And they're like, I just wanted to introduce myself. Uh, huge fan of your in my mind i'm like oh this person's gonna tell me they loved everything that i've worked on um in games right they like infinity or they like some of the stuff that i did at midway but they're always like huge fan of your work on giant bomb right <laughs> <laughs> and so adam and i have had for the longest time this this running joke with with gerstman where we're like dude we're, we're most famous for the the work in air quotes that we've done on giant bomb so <laughs> Anyway, you remember that community in front of those guys. You're a friend of mine as far as I'm concerned. So, yeah, you can call me Johnny V. Yes, I'm so excited about this. <laughs> I remember when I did have Dave Lang on this, I was jokingly kind of asking him, like, how weird is it that a lot of people might recognize you for Giant Bomb over Iron Galaxy? And he's like, it's fucking annoying. Like, what do you mean? How co- It's not cool <laughs> at all. I do this, like, big company. I'm, like, you know, CEO boss man. And people remember that I got drunk and, like, poked ed boone like that's the thing that people are like <laughs> sticking to uh, I, you know yeah or or you know i got drunk and tweeted my good friend's fucking phone number right? i almost passed out <laughs> laughing i was watching that live and i could not handle it i know like it's now just this legendary moment and i prom- i will never forget that like it's it's really uh, incredible. Uh, how was the wedding? Like, what, what, where was it? How big was it? Did, did you sweat a whole bunch when you had to say your vows? Did Dave Lang <laughs> give a long speech after taking a shot? Like, what, 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 give me the like the whole story. Yeah, so, I mean, the, the wedding was killer. So I got married to um, Colette Barr, um, who I've been seeing for, for a while and just crazy in love with. But um, she was she lived over in London. So I met her because she was a blogger for official Nintendo magazine. 
and was covering um, Infinity because she's just such a massive Disney fan. And I remember when we made the announcement, the article that she wrote was actually one of the only positive pieces of, of <laughs> feedback coming from the press, right? It was like, yeah, yeah. because most of the feedback was like, oh, here, here comes Disney trying to do a big play in the video game space again. Oh, see how it goes. Um, sounds kind of cool that they could mix the properties like Kingdom Hearts, but man, we'd, we'd rather have a new Kingdom Hearts, you know? But <laughs> You have a great so, press voice, by the way. That's yeah. exactly what all of us sound like. <laughs> well, just like when I read it, I'm always like, oh God, you know? But anyways, <laughs> hers was one that was like, you know, oh, this sounds so exciting. It could be amazing if you think about all potential crossovers. Blah, blah, blah. And so I was like, oh, that's great. So then anyway, over the years as we were doing Infinity and I'd go over there and we'd do press tours and stuff, you know, I'd, I'd get to meet with her. And um, eventually we fell in love and, you know, decided to close the gap, which is just incredibly, an incredibly difficult thing to do if you've ever um, immigrated someone to the United States, which you probably have not, but <laughs> that, uh, that entire process is a process in and of itself. But beyond that, the whole long distance relationship thing was just, um, it was crazy because you really take for granted the fact that, you know, when you're dating someone locally and you go on a date and then, you know, when the date's over, you can pick up the phone and call them the next morning, or you can, um, you know, give them a kiss goodnight, but you know, you can see them whenever you want to. Yeah. Um, and in our case, it was, um, it was different because, you know, when, when you say goodbye, you, you don't even know when you're coming back. Yeah. And you're trying to fit in everything in that window while they're there. It's like, everything's rushed because you're like, yeah. we have like three days to like, you know, get everything in. Exactly. Exactly. And so there's always this, uh, there's always this moment when you're just, it's like, like pretty much like 48 hours out of, of having to leave, you begin to realize that the, the clock is counting down. And then all of a sudden things like, you know, um, you know, staying awake becomes incredibly important because you just want to maximize every minute that you have, you know, when you fall asleep, it's like you hold that much tighter because you know, you're going to have to say goodbye to that person. And you just don't know when you're going to see them again. It's, it's kind of like, when I moved from Chicago to Los Angeles, um, saying goodbye to my family, right? Uh, that if anyone has ever done that, where you've had to move from, um, you know, one one state to another, or one city to another, and leave your family, uh, or or go away to college, right? That type of thing. Those emotions that you feel, I mean, those were emotions that I was feeling about every other month, yeah. Because I always had to say goodbye to her. So it was it was um, it was trying actually. Uh, and on a super personal note, someone that I connected with um, that was kind of a buddy and, and someone who helped me um, going through this was Greg Miller because he was doing the same thing with Genevieve. Oh, yeah. Because they were also in a long distance relationship. So it was fun because Genevieve and Colette would talk and Greg and I would talk and you know, we were both going through the same thing of you know falling in love with someone from another country, the time zone challenges. I mean, Colette was eight hours um, oh, my God. ahead of me, right? So during lunch uh while i was still working at disney like during lunch i would schedule time to speak with her it's 8 p.m her time so I was gonna she say she's is, done with dinner when you're starting lunch exactly exactly and so i would you know i'd have lunch and we would talk and then um at about four o'clock p.m i'd always shoot her a text message say you know hey good night because it's midnight her time she's going to sleep and then when i would come home have dinner play some video games um you know, around 10 or 11 p.m., I would get a text message from her waking up. And that was like our relationship. 
Um, so if you could imagine just how difficult that was, um, and then you know deciding to go forward, okay, we're going to close the gap, we're going to get engaged. Uh, we had I, I like really pulled out the stops for our engagement, um, which I did in uh, in Bora Bora. Yeah, those pictures um, were incredible. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, it was it was pretty it was pretty wicked. Um, and I had like uh, fireworks, uh, like a whole pyrotechnics show happen and everything. Um, it was uh, it was fantastic. But yeah, so in terms of the wedding itself, I mean, basically, what was I doing the whole time? Was I sweating? No, I was crying the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm totally honest, it was like it was like a fairy tale. It was like everything had finally worked out um, the way that I that, that I had always dreamed of. You know, um, all of those months, all of those, just how uh, heart wrenching it was to be away from each other and then back together again. And, um, just the, I, you know, when you love someone, you just will move mountains and you will travel to the ends of the earth. And like, I totally did. Um, and I did, and that's, that's how I knew I was in love. Yeah. And that this is a real thing. And so sorry for the first 10 minutes of this being. This is perfect. Gushy. This is like better um, than I could ever have imagined as we start with a love story. Like I've never had that with a video game podcast before. And now I feel like you've set a bar that everyone's going to have to talk about, like how they're in love or who they're in love with. Like This is a really yeah, well, great way to start it. It was actually it was wicked, though, because she was, uh, you know, so she works in the game industry as well. So she was. um uh, she was working for, uh, she'd left Nintendo, uh, doing the blogging stuff for official Nintendo magazine, had gone to a PR agency, had worked there for a while. And then she actually left and went to Square. And so she was working at um, Square Enix London on Final Fantasy fourteen. And so another kind of cute part of this whole thing is that you know, she's a massive gamer, right? Yeah. Um, and so we would play Final Fantasy fourteen together all the time online. And um, on the weekends, I mean, all my friends were like, dude, what's wrong with you? Like, you know, hey, we should go out and go party. We should hang out with people, whatever. It was like, I would always reserve my weekends for playing games online with Colette. Yeah. And so she would have on Saturday and Sundays, like, you know, the morning to kind of do her thing. So sleeping, but basically Saturday afternoon into the late evening for her and Sunday afternoon to the late evening for her was always video games with me. And I was waking up Saturday mornings at like 6 a.m. So that we could play Final Fantasy XIV together. This is the most adorable thing ever. This is incredible. It's it's kind of like you know if you've got friends, and I'm sure you do, that have like you know oh yeah, the the person I'm married to I met on World of Warcraft, right? Or the person I met uh, that I'm married to I met on um, you know like Rami uh, Ishmael, right? Like um, him and Adriel uh, would play Destiny together, right? Yeah. Um, And that was a way that you know they were they bonded playing that game. So it's it's not uncommon for the game industry or, or game nerds like us, you know, to meet someone that we love um, through what we love to do in our spare time, our hobby, which is video games. So anyhow, yeah, that's uh, that's a little bit of the background of us. And then the wedding was um, was nuts. So with friends over in the UK um, and family over in the UK on her side and friends here in the US for me, like from you know Chicagoland area, Illinois, Midwest, and also the West Coast, we were like, okay, we've got to figure out how to do this so that everyone can kind of travel to one location. And to ask people from England to travel to Los Angeles um, for a wedding, right? We knew it was going to be at least a you know, half a week slash weekend type thing that they were going to need to dedicate. And same thing for, for people from, um, from stateside that would be traveling from the Midwest to LA. So we were like, we should probably do a destination wedding. So the first thing, because she's such a massive Disney nut, 
And of course, I'm I'm a big Disney fan, even though I don't like to admit it, which people make fun of me about. Um, <laughs> we first looked at doing it at Walt Disney World, and um, the reality there was just when you kind of size up what the cost of that would be, it just it was like the bang for the buck for one day in comparison to some of the other options that we were exploring yeah. seemed um, seemed like it was like yeah, just you know a bit too rich for our blood. It would seem like smarter to do like a Disney theme off the Disney campus if you're going to do anything like that. <laughs> yeah, which at that point then it starts feeling like a kid's birthday party. <laughs> right, so, so, I won't judge you. I think that sounds great. Yeah. So on, um, but so the way that it all ended up working was. Uh, I think it was like Valentine's Day of 2016, that weekend, basically Disney was having like a crazy, a crazy sale for employees. This is 2016. They're having like crazy sale for employees and like, hey, um, if you want to go on the cruise, you can do it for like half the price you normally would. So I just said to her like, hey, you want to do this weekend cruise? And we did this weekend cruise together. And um, it was at the end of that cruise where she was like, you know, hey, this long distance thing, like I'm totally, I'm totally crazy about you. Are you crazy about me? Let's, let's close the gap. And that was, it was that cruise that we took Valentine's Day weekend in 2016, where we were like, okay, we're going to be together. And then um, two years later, as we're sitting here, like, you know, well, a year and a half later, as we're trying to figure out, okay, where exactly would we be having this wedding? Um, I was like, well, what if we did it on the cruise? And what would that look like? And how would that work? And so basically we sent out invitations to um, all of our closest friends and family and said, hey, if you're interested, we're going to get married on Disney's private island, Castaway Key in the Bahamas. Um, and we're going to get married on Valentine's Day because that's an important day for us because that was when we took the cruise originally and we super fell for each other yeah. and made the commitment to be with each other. Um, but we're like, hey, so if you if you want to be there for our wedding we're getting married on castaway key we ask that you take this cruise with us and how do you say no to that invite that'd be the coolest invite to get to a wedding oh well i mean thanks i mean i i I hope so and i think the people that that all came you know agree that it was uh pretty spectacular but it's also a lot to ask yeah um, because it's you know obviously there's a significant financial uh, cost to it right um, there's vacation time there's I mean you name it yeah but the way that we kind of worded the invite and asked everyone to come along is you know hey please bring your family please treat this as a vacation we just so happen to be getting married on this day and of course we're gonna do fun trips and activities um, or fun things and activities throughout the entire cruise and you're more than welcome to come to those if you like but uh, treat this also as a vacation to create some memories just as we did two years ago uh, when we went on this cruise with your family. And so um, people were like, oh, yeah, that's cool. So uh, we left on most people actually got to Walt Disney World the Friday before the cruise. But the, the, the cruise, the wedding cruise itself was Monday through Friday. Um, so uh, it was like Monday. The was a, what would that be? It was Wednesday, the 14th. 13th, 12th, right? So it was Monday the 12th. And then, sorry, hey, everybody, listen to me count. And then on, fr- on, on Friday, the ship got back. But most people ended up back-ending trips to Walt Disney World the Friday before um, and then the, the Friday to Sunday afterwards. Yeah. So we had um, over 115 different people um, oh my God. all around the game industry and family members and stuff come along. Anyone, and, people who are Giant Bomb fans would know, would like Dave Lang, Adam Boys. Yeah, Dave was there. Adam was there. Um, Rami was there. Um, Nick Chester was there. Uh, a whole bunch of uh, the producers that I worked with um, back uh, when I was at Disney. 
um, they were there. Like Matt Soley was there. Ryan Rothenberger was there. Jason Moffat was there. Um, and uh, I'm trying to think. I just I'm also trying as I'm saying this. I'm like I hope I'm not leaving out anyone that uh, Jeff Quirk from Game Informer came. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, Chris Kohler uh, and uh, Regina Wu, his his wife, they came. Um, Jackie Collins came. I mean, just uh, Tara Bruno came. I mean, there were so many fun people yeah. that are fun game industry people that um, came along for the ride. And of course, a bunch of guys from Avalanche too um, that I worked with on the Infinity stuff. So uh, yeah, it was nuts. And it was nuts to like um, to see just everyone relaxing and having a good time. And it was wonderful because I didn't have to worry as much as I thought I was going to. Um, because, you know, like Disney's there and I know that when it comes to resorts and family vacations and that type of thing, like Disney's second to none. Like I completely trust them with everything. Yeah. And um, and I did. And I mean, I didn't hear any complaints from anyone um, with the exception of a couple of my buddies who were like, dude, I totally was not ready for how seasick I ended up getting. Um, but <laughs> but <clears throat> that was a funny thing because. You know, like, I don't know if you've seen one of these cruise ships. Have you ever been on a cruise before? I have not. I've been invited. I live in, well, I live in Florida now, and I've been invited on a few, but I've never actually been on one. I mean, like, okay, so for what it's worth, and for everyone listening, it's like like going to a mall, right? I mean, like, the, the ships are, like, the size of a mall. They're oh, gigantic, my God. Right? I mean, it's like, so think of a mall floating in the ocean. Think of how <laughs> strong the waves would have to be for you even to get seasick in a big floating mall, right? <laughs> and if anyone from Disney is listening, not to say that any of the Disney cruise ships are like floating balls, right? I'm not saying that. I just meant like, when you think about landmass, like from a landmass yeah. perspective, I'm totally doing my farleying out right now. From a landmass perspective, <laughs> just imagine how big these are. It's, anyway, so with the exception of a couple of friends who were just like, oh man, uh, you know, I got a little bit seasick. They were sensitive to being seasick. And one of yeah. them was one of my buddies who was, one of my grooms was also a Marine. And I'm like, I was like, yo, X, d- by the way. How did that like, work? Yeah. <laughs> that was an, in- yeah. Like, don't you think you'd get used to that after a while? Yeah, and like, like were- I don't even think Marines are on the, the same type of floating malls. Like, I- No, right. And also, you know, doing flips from helicopters into the water and swimming <laughs> marine the water. shit yeah like yo marine yeah hashtag marine shit so i was like <laughs> how are you like actually feeling queasy on a big floating mall but anyway so we yeah we did it basically monday night was um oh i've got a funny story so uh monday night the cruise ship took off uh one of my old producers ryan roth the cruise ship left a little bit late one of my old producers ryan rothenberger whose wife liz works uh, in imagineering actually got stopped at security because she brought live bullets Oop. in her backpack uh, to the boat, right? Why? And so, because, <laughs> you know, like some people have trinkets and that kind of thing, right? And then, of course, your mind would go to like, oh, like, you know, there was some horrible thing. But she basically had had these in her backpack as trinkets from a hike or a visit to some place that they had done or something, right? And so I'm sitting there, like, um, doing the final plans for the, the bachelor and bachelorette parties and then... Someone from Disney leans over and said, by the way, John, one of your guests was just um, detained at security because they're bringing live ammunition into the ship. I was like, what? What? Who? It's like, it's Liz. And I'm like, by the way, hold on. Yes, she is a guest, but she is also an Imagineer. So she's one of yours, first and foremost. Not (laughs) your bullets, not mine. Yeah, exactly. So I'm like, what a bizarre thing, right? And then, of course, I had to go over and I'm like, Rhino, what the fuck? Why is Liz bringing bullets? He's like, oh, God, it was such a mess. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. But. So anyway, besides that funny story, Monday night we did the the bachelor and bachelorette parties. Um, so like Colette did hers in a 
in a cool champagne um, location called Pink. It was all themed to Pink Elephants on Parade from Dumbo. Um, and I did mine in kind of a more sports bar-y type place. We had custom drinks. Like, Disney made custom drinks for us. So uh, mine was a Corona with a shot of Patron Silver Chill that you would drop into it and drink. Um, Man. Colette's was a, a special uh, champagne cocktail called the Colette. Um, and they had, like, custom menus that they made. And so we did toasts and roasts and that kind of thing. And then, you know, the rest of the night, Everyone kind of just partied all together and had fun. The next day, the ship um, docked in Nassau and a whole bunch of people went and um, did activities. I had wanted to go. Um, I've been to Nassau a bunch of times growing up. Um, I just I love that place. Actually, the first time I ever went there, I think I was 11 years old. My father came and he said to my mother, um, my parents had just been separated at the time. My father said to my mother, I'm taking Johnny to, to Nassau for the weekend. And my mother's like, okay. Uh, and she's like, hey, you got his passport? Mine. So my mom's like, you know, here's everything. And so I left with him. I remember in the car ride, I was like, Dad, I can't wait to go to NASA. It's going to be so incredible. And he's like, oh, yeah, son, it's going to be amazing. And then I was like, are we going to see any rocket ships? And he's like, what are you talking about? I said, you said we're going to NASA. He said, no. <laughs> I said we're going to Nassau. That's in the Bahamas. Uh, I was like, ah. So anyway, <laughs> that day, though, when we got to Nassau, I had wanted to go um, – swim with lay this cool thing where you can like um pet stingrays um and then feed sharks like there's bull sharks and that type of stuff and uh actually disney wouldn't let me go and do it because they were like hey we know you like doing like extreme sports and activities and that type of thing we really don't want you to injure yourself in any way <laughs> so um yeah. i was actually regulated to the ship um so i spent that day uh, on the ship but that evening oh we had God. uh yeah, that even they had to had stop you from doing dangerous shit. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I mean, and it was it wasn't just them, right? I mean, like you could imagine Colette with her arms folded and eye rolling because I was yeah. like, yeah. we could do parasailing, we could go feed sharks, we could go, and I was like, we can go do wave runners. I love doing wave runners. I mean, if you put an engine in my hands, whether it's a car or you know four wheeler or wave runner, like I had the time of my life. Um, But Colette was like, no, my parents were like, geez, Johnny, could you not try and kill yourself just this once, right? Right before you get married, like what if you had a broken, a broken leg? So anyway, um, but we had our uh, rehearsal during that evening. And then the next day was Castaway Key. And um, Colette was getting dressed all morning with her bridesmaids. And then for me with my groomsmen, so my groomsmen were, um, Matt Pasquale, um, uh, and then I had uh, Adam Boyce, Dave Lang, uh, John Blackburn was my best man, uh, and um, Xavier, my Marine friend who gets queasy, um, X as I refer to him. Uh, so those those are those are my best men. So basically, they were like, okay, hey, um, you know, what are we doing that day? And I was like, well, what I prefer to do is not get completely smashed before the wedding, right? Which is tough with that group. You know, I know they're going to ask me, hey, what are we going to do? So um, I need to do something that's like equally as big and distracting. So I was like, look, here's what we're going to do. Uh, on Castaway Key, there are multiple water slides here on the ship. There's water slides. So in the morning, what we're going to go do is go and do all the different water slides that are available on the island and on the ship. Um, sober. Yeah, sober. Right. Which was fun and it was great. But also, right, you're talking a whole bunch of body conscious self-conscious game developers that don't like to take their shirts off right so at the same time it's like you know like 
hey, are we really going to wear our shirts when we go down the water slide? You know, like, oh, that's <laughs> it's way more so, noticeable when you wear a shirt than when you don't wear a shirt. Because when you wear a shirt, agree. people like assume like, oh, that person does not want to take their shirt off for a reason. But when you take it off, you're like, I'm confident in whatever is going on over here. Exactly. And like, I'll tell you what, like everyone has their own things, right? Like yeah. I got stretch marks on my stomach from being too fat, right? I have probably the hairiest back in the game industry, <laughs> bar none, right? Adam's got skin tags, Dave's pale. I mean, everyone's got their own thing, right? So it was just so funny because basically after we did a couple of water slides, um, Colette sent me kind of a, a, a 911 text message and was like, hey, I really want a necklace to wear. Um, for the day, you know, for, for when I come down the aisle and we're getting married. And so I was like, oh, God, I got to go find a necklace. So I was like, hey, pause for a second, guys. Let me go try to find a necklace. So I'm running around doing that. And then the guys basically went and got a couple buckets of beer and then sat down. And when I came back, they're like, yeah, you know, Dave, Dave we're vetoing uh, doing any more uh, water slides. We're like, come on. Like, it's, we don't have enough time to do this. And I was like, hey, you guys suck. Like, this is supposed to be my fucking day. Like, I want to go do the rest of water slides. Like, Baby, it's fine. Here, shut up. Just take this beer. Everyone's going to be fine. And so, um, yeah, so we ended up having a couple of beers, which was fine. We got dressed. We went down to, <laughs> I can't believe I'm telling you. We went down to um, the place where we were getting married on Castaway Key. And um, basically, I had open bar for all of our guests that were going to be coming a little bit early. And um, the staff laid red wine out like, from the back of like, you know, when you stand up a bar, you've got like the, the, the width of the bar, right? Yep. Um, yep. Like, you know, you, you put your arms up, eh, you know, like talk to the bartender, they, they pour your beer in the hand to you. But okay, so the staff had put red wine like eight deep along the entire bar so that as people were coming up, they could quickly grab a wine, have a couple of drinks before the wedding ceremony, whatever. So I was sitting, standing in front of that, talking and doing my typical like Italian hands thing, right? And my cuff, because I have those stupid fucking cuffs I love. Pardon (laughs) me. Um, My cuff caught one of the red ones right on the outside. It spilled, hit the ground, and it splashed all over my brother's girlfriend's um, outfit, which is horrible. But then a bunch of it got all over the bottom of my pants. And I was wearing white linen pants. I was, oh, I was, no, I'm going to say, please say you're wearing black pants. No, I was wearing white linen pants. Like, I was totally trying to go for that, like, Thurston Howell III slash John Hammond, you know, <laughs> welcome to Jurassic Park. Like, look with all my all my groomsmen. And so we had white linen pants. So mine are all red. Um, thankfully, because X was sick, to bring it full circle in my Larry David life, since X was sick, he actually came late to the whole greeting all of our guests thing. His pants were clean. And because I've lost so much weight, I actually was able, we had the same size pants. So we actually went behind the bar, swapped pants so that I wasn't wearing red wine stained pants. But when Colette walked down the aisle, of course, all the photos. So at the end of the day, crisis averted, but uh, that's what happened there. Um, but the wedding ceremony itself, um, I scripted like the entire thing. Um, so Disney had basically told us like, here's what we can do. Here's how we want this to work. But everything from like the music that was playing as, as people arrived, which was a combination of like uh, Disney music meets um, uh, video game island theme music um, that was also in, in some cases arranged uh, from a, from a jazz perspective. Oh um, man. So it sounds really confusing, but uh, I take a lot of pride into kind of trying to make like make this whole thing a big scene and it really was so 
um, myself and the rest of the groomsmen, as well as the bridesmaids, all walked down the aisle. Once the whole ceremony started, we all walked down the aisle to uh, Simple and Clean from Kingdom Hearts. Oh my god, this is perfect. Yeah, so it was like playing the instrumental for that. Um, and like, of course, you know, for me anyway, you know, cue tears, right? Because... Mm. Kingdom Hearts, obviously, you know, uh, uh, an, I love role-playing games, but an RPG meets um, video games, right? Meets Disney, meets Square. So, yeah. like, you know, the mashup of two different worlds and how that was important um, to, you know, One Sky, One Destiny, right? Being another one of the things that's like a theme of, of that game that also relates to myself and Colette. The Square Enix connection, the Disney connection, the characters, the One Sky, One Destiny the i just everything was so that was that was what everyone walked to and had all that big all that music for that for that for those emotional reasons and then um colette walked down the aisle to um uh the opening theme to little mermaid so it was like you know uh that, what's the song she said like look at this stuff isn't it neat right yes. it was like the it was the um instrumental version of that and so i had everything timed out with our music supervisors. So it was like the simple and clean stuff played. Everyone was walking exactly the right time and doing the right stuff. And then Colette came and her father came and um, handed her off to me, uh, you know, King Triton and uh, gave me a big <laughs> hug. And I whispered, you know, I love you, dad. It was funny because after the whole thing, Colette, of course, is, you know, just a stickler for the details was like, did you notice that no one stood up when I was walking down the aisle? I was <laughs> I was kind of upset about that. And I was like, you know, I did notice that. And in my mind, I'm thinking it's because everyone was like, holy shit. Because um, she's beautiful dress and all this kind of stuff. But long story short, uh, she sent me to my mother. My mother was like, honey, it was like we were watching theater. Everything was perfect. Johnny was crying like crazy. The music's playing. There's bubbles floating around. People throwing flowers. And then you came in the dress. It's like people were stunned. They didn't even know what to say. And so um, that was, uh, but yeah, the wedding was cool. I was crying the entire time because um, I was like, holy shit, I pulled this off. Holy shit, this is happening. Holy shit. Oh my and I God. Just, it's been a long time since I've like personally, you know, been happy. I've gone through a lot of really difficult stuff that I think is enough emotionally for, um, I've gone through so many different things. It's enough for, for one person's lifetime, but I've, I've, you know, had it happen multiple times and you know, even like with the shutting down of the infinity stuff, I mean, it was really tough. I was, I was broken in pieces and, uh, it, I took it really hard and Colette, you know, stuck with me and put me back together. And, um, I think his, has made me a better man than I was before. Yeah. And, yeah. um, I, I know she's made me a better man than I was before. And so I just, uh, yeah, I'm crazy about her. I'd do anything for her. And, the wedding was great. So, yeah, now we're eating top ramen for the rest of... Um, <laughs> yeah, after something like that. Of, uh, it's, right. It's budgeting time, but... Uh, yeah, it's, for sure. So sorry to funny. talk for a half hour about that. No, you're totally you fine. Because I, think that, stuff, but... I think that leads into a lot of other things. Because like you mentioned, you did go through that stint where the Infinity thing ended. But you sound genuinely happy. Like, you sound like you're in a good place and to spin the it's it's hard to spin you know hey a studio closes or a, a game project stops as a positive but after being on such a crazy travel schedule and leading development teams and working as much as you have for the last like decade plus and then especially even more once the disney thing happened like has it been a little bit reinvigorating to 
take that time off and live a bit because I know you would prefer if Disney Infinity was still going, but for you creatively, can this type of break actually be for the best? So I never took a break. There's, there's, <laughs> there's a dirty, dirty secret. Um, as soon as one door closed, another opened up. And uh, I can't speak about what it is that I'm doing, um, except that it's awesome. I'm super excited about it. Uh, I don't want to like needle you on this and get you to say stuff you can't talk about, but you mentioned you were kind of a little bit broken into pieces after the Infinity thing. So how long before someone actually came to you with the current project you're doing now? Was it weeks? Was it months? Was it years? Uh, it was prior to me leaving Disney. Oh, wow. August of 16. Um, so prior to leaving Disney, I had been approached by... Uh, by someone who shall remain nameless, who was referred to me by someone who shall remain nameless, who was <laughs> a former um, pretty pretty big deal within Disney, who said uh, you should talk to this person um, because of you know the news about Infinity and what this person's um, skills and um, and capabilities are with respect to um, building compelling, entertaining products, uh, creating teams, leading teams, um, and everything that goes in, in between. So, um, yeah, so it's been uh, it's been quite a journey, um, but it was not a long enough time where I was like, oh, like, like, you know, Cliffy B, right, where I could take some time to go travel Europe and, you know, yeah. figure out what my next big move, what my next big inspiration is going to be. I kind of did it all simultaneous and what's been most difficult about it and still is difficult even as i'm having this conversation is keeping my you know my 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 chi my karma like my just my center of balance and happiness in check because i just i am a i'm a one-trick pony um i i am i am born and bred uh and designed and tooled to make video games and so um for me personally, it's talking about video games, playing video games, being around other game developers or publishers or marketers, or PR, whatever. Just being around other gamers is what really just makes me feel great, makes me feel wonderful. And being able to share the things that I've created with people that I know will entertain people is something that just makes all of you know the late nights and the the hard work and the um, the personal sacrifices all worth it, and not being able to, to be able to do that on Twitter, um, you know, with friends, with you as I'm talking right now is it's so difficult for me. Um, but at the same time, I really look forward to the day when I, when I can share. Here's all the cool stuff um, that I've been doing in the background with some other extremely talented people and some familiar faces. Um, that that some of you may know and um, it's just gonna be it's gonna be great so it's funny because I always get these messages from people like yeah dude okay another post about how much you love Colette and hopefully the first 30 minutes of this you guys understand you know why that is and where that emotion is coming from but the other part of it is like I just can't talk about what I'm doing right now but um, hopefully you'll be as excited about it and when I am able to talk about it as I am and as I've been um, as we've been working on that's the hardest part is when you know you're doing rad shit and you can't talk about the rad shit you're doing, but you just so badly want to be like, 
guess what the fuck I'm working on. And um, I, you mentioned before that you're kind of born and bred to do this. And uh, it's funny, I'm moving into game development. I'm moving to LA in early May and I'm going to be working on my first project full time. And I'm, Dude, you've got a friend in me. <laughs> and you, you're in LA right now, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, we need to grab a drink. This is going to be great. Um, I got it. I'm excited. I'm terrified. I'm every emotion you would imagine. And as someone who's been doing this for a while, like you and on many different teams, you mentioned born and bred, but what do you think it is about game development that keeps you wanting to come back through the ups, through the downs, through the hits, through the misses, through the crunch and everything in between? I would assume just you talk to some game developers and you hear crazy, difficult stories about it. I had the co-creator of Halo on here talking about crunch. And after hearing that, you're like, man, how could you keep making games? So for you, what do you think it is that keeps bringing you back? It's the, it's the people that play the games. It's, Even though they're like shitting on stuff on Twitter, like I guess at that point you have to ignore some of like the, the Twitter trolls and you're just like the actual genuine people. Yeah, but the reality is, right? Even the Twitter troll, if you meet that person in real life, and I have on many occasions, like when someone's being mean, like, okay, I get it. You want some attention, right? But mm. the first thing you say is like, by the way, you didn't have to be a dick to get my attention. Actually, if you were nice, I probably would have, you would have gotten my attention more quickly, right? Yeah. But to me, it's uh, whether it's the trolls or, or the people who are genuine fans, the reality is um, I love to entertain, right? Um, and this is a good thing and a bad thing. It's been a good thing and a bad thing in my career um, for a long time. When it comes to business personally, right? If you've worked with me on my team before, if you've worked with me personally, you know there's business JV, right? And then there's, you know, silly entertaining JV, right? There is the um, the, the there's the businessman and then there's the the guy that you have beers with and you hang out with and those yeah. are two different those are two totally different people and so for me uh, a lot of people see you know the oh dude I love the work you do on Giant Bomb right um, but the the game fans the video gamers that play the entertainment that we create as a team not I in game development right but we as a team. That to me is what makes it all worth it. That's what makes me keep coming back. And also, like, I'm just hella passionate about games. Yeah. Like, Colette made fun of me the other day because I fired up Monster Hunter and uh, I was 40 hours in and I looked at her and I was like, I don't know if I like this. And she's <laughs> like, Johnny, you're 40 hours in. That's like a work week that you've been playing this game. I felt the exact same way about Monster Hunter, if that helps. I beat that game, and I was like, did I like that? Like, I couldn't entirely tell. Right? Right? So, well, I'm 110 hours in. Do you like it now? Well, uh, I think so. (laughs) I mean, so, with Monster Hunter, and this is no knock on anything, so I love the fact that it's a grind, right? Yeah. Definitely, you know, one thing about me, I love games I can grind, Um, but the thing that i'm missing from it which i think would make it a lot more entertaining which by the way is why i think fortnite is so popular is the fact that i play monster hunter by myself Mm. i see other people but i might it's like journey or they might as well be they could be ai or they could be real humans they're just chirping at you without real words at that point it feels like right but then when you play fortnite right because the game's free and it's accessible to everybody um, you end up playing with your friends. You create memories through the game with your friends, um, and that's kind of a fun thing. So, yeah, 110 hours in. I, for for me, what I was doing a lot of personally was also exploring all the different mechanics, um, and in my mind, creating kind of a, a gigantic whiteboard of the multiple mechanics that they have within the game, how they're balancing them, when they're asking the player, 
to do certain things. Why? What things are optional? How are they presenting it from a user interface perspective? Um, what makes me keep on coming back from a gameplay loop? If that game, though, that game would be perfect if it had uh, the controls of Horizon Zero Dawn. Oh, yeah. And Alloy, right? If that, if that actually was how the game felt in terms of how you play it, um, I think that that game would be even higher rated than it is. And I think more people would be playing it than, than even are. But by the way, I heard it's Capcom's, someone said to me that it's Capcom's uh, best-selling game ever. Yeah, which is like it's crazy because Monster Hunter games have been around forever and of course popular in Japan. It's like this one just hit it off. Like people suddenly got it. And I'm kind of with you in terms of I wish it felt and I'm super happy for the success and like finally that's awesome that people here care about it. But I'm with you in terms of like I wish this felt a little different. I wish the actual feedback loop in terms of combat made me want to play this game more cool because i'm happy that i can talk to you about this because you've made games for so long so you think about this stuff like i i reviewed games for GameSpot and ign and all these different places so i have a certain like maybe critical take on certain games where i'm thinking about aspects from it without actually have made made games before and you're able to look at a video game and be like as someone who's made games i wish they would have done this this and this have you had a lot of games since you've since you left Disney and you've played games, you know, not at an actual developer right now, not making games actively, so you've had a little bit more time to experience other games. Have you had a lot of games, whether it be Fortnite, whether it be Monster Hunter, whether it be something else that's inspired you in a certain way or maybe even made you jealous where you've played something like, God damn, I wish I would have thought of that first. Has there been a lot of that for you? What an interesting question. Has there been a lot of – say the question again. Yeah, so like have you seen – Sorry, my mind started swirling because I – the first thing I want to do is be like, well, I have been working. Right? Yeah, I know. I, well, it's hard. I guess like, I'm just going to no, pretend no, no, I can't good. talk about that work at all. I'm just going to no, pretend it's because it's not public that you haven't been working. Because <laughs> right, like, my enough. fear is I accidentally get you to say something. And then I'm going to be like, well, shit, I'm going to forget to take this out of the podcast. And suddenly nah. I've like, destroyed all your embargoes. But really, no, 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 no. I appreciate had... you saying that, by the way. Um, yeah. Just, well, just I, so you know, that's really kind of you. Well, yeah, and like I, I, the last thing I want is to get you in trouble for any reason like that. Like I, um, the reason I bring I do, up I do that on my own, easy enough. Right? <laughs> I also remember that from Giant Bomb, and I'm gonna try to avoid that. So I get it. If I was still a GameSpot or IGN, I might be pushing, but I would never do that now. I, I, I've had like people like Greg Kasavin and Mike Laidlaw and a lot of developers on here who, when Greg they talk about games, they have this sort of mindset of when they're playing them, they just they think about them differently. And there's definitely these moments where they're like, man, I wish I would have thought of that. It's like a it's it's a complimentary jealousy where they they are jealous of it not because like oh I'm fuck those people I wish I would have thought of that it's more like man that's such a good idea I wish I would have thought of that first so even though you are still working have you been playing games and seeing some things where you're like man that is exceptionally clever and either I'm going to institute that in my next game or boy I wish I would have thought of that first. Uh, I'm going to answer this in a super weird way. Which That's is, all I've ever I'm, expected from you, and I yeah, appreciate it. Not, and I'm not trying to sound douchey. What I, <laughs> what I am always trying to do is um, I try to play the games, and I, I always – same thing with Monster Hunter. I mean, like I was just talking about – sorry, easy for me to say because I'm lost in thought here. I always play all the biggest games that I can and indie games as well, but I'm always saying, why are they doing it this way? Yeah. Why why is it like this? What why is this mechanic this way? Here's a stupid one, but one that was in my head, right? In Monster Hunter, they absolutely have the ability to localize all of the audio and have the characters say all of the lines. 
right? Mm-hmm. Um, but they didn't. They chose specific lines that the characters would say, and then they would display text on screen. Now, there's a little bit of a difference when you look at Nintendo games. And the same thing goes through my mind all the time with Nintendo games. Like when you're playing um, uh, the, the latest Zelda, right? when you're playing Breath of the Wild, right? <laughs> like you, they have all the different sound <laughs> effects that they say, right? Hey! Hey! Yeah. Like, Almost like the Banjo-Kazooie, like, hoo-hoo-hoo kind of noises instead right. where you now, hold on those. A, exactly. So now back in the day, we did it that way because we couldn't fit that much on a cartridge. I hate to sound like Cranky Kong right now, right? But like, <laughs> old so, JV up in here. Back in my day, we couldn't fit that shit on my cartridge. That <laughs> sounds so stupid, but it's the truth. So anyway, as I'm playing Monster Hunter, I'm like, hmm. So did they have this all written out? And did they just tell Nolan North, like, hey, just say, you know, the first three words of this? Or, you know, like, did they say, um, say these words because this captures the spirit of what the text is on screen and we know someone's just going to button through it. So just say these three words. So from a from an audio perspective, someone can pick up on what the emotion is or you know, just make this sound or how did they do that? Right? Or why yeah. did they do that is, is the thing I'm always asking. And so it's like uh, Destiny 2, right? I was doing the whole like, why does the loot system work the way that it does? Mm. Why does... Why did the developers decide these are the specific items that you're going to be able to microtransact? Why? Like it's always the why, um, and that to me is it's just it's adding like it's like I'm writing a book, but I'm not, and it's adding little you know um, pages to to my game design and my game theory and game philosophy. Just the that's the way I always look. He's like, so why are they doing this? Why are they taking me on this journey? Why, Can why did they implement this way? Playing games feel like a chore sometimes because it's half research, half playing it. Like, would you prefer sometimes to be able to turn your brain off? Uh, it's so funny that you say that because Colette always says, I hate watching <laughs> you play video games because the way you play video games is not like a normal human. Like you, you are constantly like running over to the corner moving around in the corner, almost like QA would, right? Yeah. And trying to understand the full boundaries of the environment and, and why and how it's built so that you can have greater control of yourself when you're within that world. And she's like, instead of like, you know, here's the path, follow the path, run down the path. It's like you deliberately go the opposite direction of the path because you're trying to test and see what did the game developers do for a douchebag like you who plays this game? <laughs> yeah, what was their plan when someone says, I'm not following this marker, I'm going to go the opposite way? Wait, like, right. where's the barriers? Because you always think of invisible PS2 walls, right? And Near Automata was a game that had kind of PS2-esque boundaries, and people found that because they poke and they prod. And that's why a game like Zelda, you're so unbelievably impressed when it's like, oh my god, they've thought of this. And for you, when you mentioned you played Zelda, you had to have a lot of, holy shit, they thought of this moments. Right. I mean, for Zel- for me with Zelda, it was... Um... So when we were working on Infinity, um, there was this thing that we had. It was, a, it was a big game design theory that we had. It was, um, can I? Yes, I can. Yeah. Um, you know, can I question mark? Yes, I can, period. And that was all over our design documents. That was all over the theory of what we were putting together because the emotion that we wanted to evoke from players was um, uh, surprise and elation uh, and joy. And so to accomplish that, you have to be able to do the can I, yes, I can. Like, at least that's how we approached it, right? 
So it was to experience joy and elation, to make someone feel smart, right? One of the things about Zelda is people solve puzzles differently, right? Um, and there is, there's joy and elation from solving um, those puzzles the way that you want to, yeah. using the tools that the designers gave you. And so for me, it's like that's one of the, the, that's one of the things that can be defined as fun is you know defining kind of what the sandbox is and how to play inside of it so when we created infinity that was one of the big things that we cared about in the toy box mode was that people would be able to you know play with all these different little miniature toys that we gave them and combine them in ways that you never thought of you know it's b mixes with w and it creates z you know and that was the type of stuff that zelda did in spades right where it was like I didn't even think I could cook this scale, but when I cooked the scale, <laughs> it ended up creating a horn and the horn can be used as like, it's, that was the stuff that is just magic. Well, isn't it hard to find that balance though? Because so many games now handhold you and like understandably so, where some people just want to know, like, please tutorialize me on this thing. So I know what the hell I'm doing from spot to spot. And now you look at something like Dark Souls, which I think was so refreshing because it pushed back on that and said, like, just figure this out. Like, we're going to put you in the spot and you're getting to figure this shit out. And some people hate that. Some people love that. And as a game designer, is that is it hard to know how to strike that balance between I want you to have the joy of discovery, but also I don't want to not tell you enough where you get frustrated? Yeah, but so there's two different things here, though, because the joy of discovery is not oh my goodness, I figured out how to, you know, control this character, right? Or do this move. The joy of discovery is taking two um, non-connected things, connecting them together to create something that you're like, wow, I I never even thought of that. Uh, The old um, point-and-click adventure games, right? Monkey Island, one of my favorite games of all time, right? You would get to a spot where you didn't know how to advance, but you had to take the shovel and combine it with the rat in order to make him then do this animation and this action to get beyond something, right? That that type of... And granted, it was a bit archaic in terms of the, the way it was implemented because of you know just the restrictions of games at the time, but that's the type of joy and surprise that people... You know, that create those emotions, right? Yeah. That, that make them so special. And I think that was part of what Zelda made so much fun. Although I will say this, um, for as incredible as Zelda... Uh, uh, Breath of the Wild is. Can we all just ask for either like microtransact you know for ninety nine cents, or put in a patch uh, with a quest that makes it so that my weapons don't break? Like, <laughs> I don't think anyone's ever wanted weapons that break. It's one of those things where I understand why it's in there, but as a designer, again, and I'm about to get into this, and I'm excited to learn. And I'm excited to talk to people. I'm excited to talk to people like you who've done this stuff so I can get an understanding of it. Because in those moments as a player, as a former critic, as a former media member, I look at that and I'm like, if something is inherently unfun, let's say we left escort missions in the dust, right? Like people don't want oh, those. God. So fuck those. And we've left yeah. mostly the stealth games where it's we have a vision cone. And when you're in the vision cone, mission over, restart, long loading screen. And suddenly you're like, why am I playing this? Haven't we and shouldn't we also leave just like weapon de- degradation out of this? Like why should weapons break? So, right. I mean, yeah, so look, 
I'm not nearly anywhere close to a, a master game designer like the the guy that Nintendo that worked. Yeah, you're getting there. You'll be close with I, this next project. I, we'll be able to call you master at that yeah, point. Yeah, no, not at all. <laughs> but for what it's worth, the again, as I as I was saying to you, like when I play games, you know, hey, is it tough for you when you play games? I'm always going for the why. When I play Breath of the Wild, I'm always like, why did they do this? The only conclusion I have come to with that is because they want to create panic for when that weapon breaks. But I would also argue, God, and I don't want to get myself into trouble, but I would also argue if the emotion that you wanted to create was panic because my weapon broke, or the emotion you wanted to create was um, for me to make sure that I'm being conservative with how much I'm playing with this particular item, you certainly didn't make it fun yeah. Because pausing the game in the middle of combat, while the music's going, the characters are moving around, the effects are happening, the particles are going around, to pause that game, <laughs> right, and switch over all those panels, and then be like, hmm, should I use the Master Sword now? <laughs> oh, wait, no, the Master Sword is at zero, or, you know, it's at eight, and it's it's gonna. It's charging up to get back to thirty. Should I use the? It's like that's not fun. It, it, well, weird question based just off that. When you are trying to create panic, or again using the Dark Souls comparison, do you sometimes have to create not fun situations to get the effect you want, or is that never worth it to risk the not having fun part? Because we have a lot of games now where fun doesn't always seem like it's the main goal sometimes you're trying to elicit some sort of emotion beyond that or try something new but in a game like zelda do you think you have to have fun on the mind with decisions like this um so it's just the way i was raised as a game developer Mm -hmm. um so i wish that you journalists would constantly be (laughs) reviewing games but for what it's worth would be reviewing games by asking yourself is this fun I'm a developer because, now, so I don't have this power, but no, I don't. Right, well, fair enough. But, like, the thing is, is that we lost this, like, GamePro used to have, like, fun factor, right? <laughs> and I don't know what the hell, you know, it really meant to them. But the reality is, is, is the game fun to play? Um, and that's something that's really important, especially as you hear these days about certain types of games that are coming out that are using um, psychological manipulation to make you keep playing more and make you spend more money. Yeah, loot boxes. Right? Well, I mean, yeah, I'm not saying who, and I'm not saying what, and like whatever, right? But just <laughs> as gamers, as game developers, as um, you know, industry journalists or critics, right? The the one thing that is so important, and this has to do when I say the way I was raised, it was the way I was raised at Midway, um, because these guys were all about, look, I got fifty cents. I have to attract you to play my game. You put in fifty cents, and I've got two and a half minutes that you better have the most fun that you've had in your life that you want to put another 50 cents in to keep playing. Mm. And that's something that's really important, I think, right now. And I wish all game developers would listen to because you have to ask yourself, is it fun to play this game? Um, and, I mean, it's funny. when you when, If you go back to my sentiments on Monster Hunter, it's like, hey, I like the grind, right? Is the grind fun? Yeah. Mm. The interesting thing is that is something psychological that Johnny V likes. Johnny V likes to sit and play a game over and over and over, do the same quest over and over and over to unlock more gear, right? That's scratching an itch in, you know, my my small brain, right? But when I'm like, man, if it controlled like how Alloy controls in Horizon Zero Dawn, 
game would be so much better. Uh, if you actually break down that comment, it's like that game would be more fun to play. Yeah. If yeah. the controls are a little bit better, and it's it's a lost art or not lost art. Again, not to sound like Cranky Kong, but <laughs> it's something that we all should be thinking about as game developers, critics, and fans. It's like, am I actually having fun playing this game? And uh, yeah. it's important. I love this topic. No, it is great because it's one of the first podcasts where I've completely thrown out the script because I'm now invested <laughs> in this because one of my favorite recent games was Firewatch. And I don't really know if any point during Firewatch I was having fun. I was invested in the story. I want to know what was going on there. There was tension. There was interest. There was human interest. And similar to I've uh, had Steve Gaynor on here, who, of course, did Gone Home and Tacoma. And fun comes in various forms on a lot of those games. I never... I wouldn't describe what I had as fun, but I also agree with you that with a lot of games, especially something like a Monster Hunter, the goal that you're going for is fun. And when you're talking about the combat could be better, you're saying the combat could be more engaging. It could be more fun. Do you think, like, do you enjoy games like a Firewatch where you're not, you know, you're not shooting things, you're not slashing at things, you're kind of just experiencing the story almost like a visual book is that no. in your mind something that I, and i'm not trying to diminish it in any way because some of those no, are my favorite no, no. games so do you think in that case you're having fun or is that something different no i should just I, I wish i could grab the the blonde bomber right now because she the types of games that she and i play the colette i'm talking about sorry it's there you I go love a little the inside baseball. she sounds like a wrestler that's incredible <laughs> yeah anyway she uh she's like you have to play firewatch you have to play what remains of either fish you have to and she always has me playing those types of, of games that are more like I'm going to put you into a world. The mechanics are going to be similar, if not the same to a lot of different games. Um, but I'm going to make you experience the story um, and this and this, um, you know, this the emotions that go along with it. And so I I am the big popcorn bucket. Oh, give me a new Gears of War. Give me a new Assassin's Creed. Yeah, new Uncharted. Give me, give me, give me give that me, like twelve uh, hour blockbuster. Oh, right, exactly. And she's like, let me go somewhere. Um, let me escape. Let me. Um, it's like you know those intros to like AMC movie theaters, right? Where it's like the <laughs> vines come up from the seats, right? Like, yes. hey, for that two and a half hours, I have you there, and you're watching this movie. Like, she loves those types of experiences, and. It's interesting because those to me, and this is, by the way, gets to the root of, in a roundabout way, why video games are art. Again, not to be like preachy, God, I'm so embarrassed, but um, <laughs> I'm passionate about our industry. So this is why games are art, though, because I'm sitting here going, hey, you know, there's this whole thing about, you know, fun in video games. And that's that's a really important thing. And that's, I was always raised to make sure that the games that you create are fun for people to play, right? And then on the other side, Latin you right or like hey have you played some of these other games that are more about going through an experience yeah right? going through a story and, and being there and that's what makes video games so much different so much diverse did i have fun playing um what remains of edith fitch i'll say in particular um i can't say that like the game mechanics themselves um were like fun but the experience that they took me through as i played through that game and shout out to Hector, uh, who's one of my old midway buddies that worked on that. Um, yeah. I was I was in tears by the end of that thing. And like Grant, I'm a big softy, <laughs> whatever, right? But I was that was an emotional roller coaster. That was somewhere in between film and games. That was different than a typical 
video game experience. And I loved it, right? Because it's just, it was, it was just because that it was, it was something that was so much different. Um, so I don't think that games always have to be fun, but I think that as the person who's in charge of gameplay design, um, you, your job is to make sure that whatever people are doing is fun, um, whether that's in the way that it's presented or that's in the way that it controls. And in the case of Vita Fitch, there were so many moments in that game um, where you were like, I, you know, you're, you're controlling something. God, the I don't want to spoil for everybody, but the whole thing with the guy in the uh, in the cannery. Yo, that's one of the where, best sequences. Holy cat. Yeah, shit. like I will tell you what. I mean, I have I have brought that up no more than 10 to 10 different game developers saying, have you played this game? They're like, no, I haven't. I'm like, you need to play it for this moment to watch how they managed to create a daydream and turn it into a gameplay experience. It's, it's fucking. Incredible. And it feels like they're using like your left brain, your right brain, that brain at the same time ah. where you're, you're juggling, you're, 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 you're patting your head and rubbing your stomach or whichever order the fuck that is where yeah. it's really hard to keep up, but it does create that feeling like almost nothing. Even like, even the simple act of the scene where you're swinging feels right. like when yes, you were a that's kid another and you're moment. swinging and that's like yep. the, the non fun, like you're, you, maybe you're having fun, but a lot of that is more like I'm going to create this specific emotion or this specific feeling in you and right. it grabs you in a way. And like you said, like maybe that's not, am I having fun? That's a weird thing to answer, but it's super effective in this way where you're like, I want more of that. It's almost, it, it, it's insane it's for like a, game of the year moment to be like what's better uh i know it's different years but you're like a monster hunter or like a bayonetta or edith finch or gone home and you're like these are different things like we found something different that's in between that is still a game but it's fucking entirely different worlds and that's why video games are art yes i mean that is why um this this medium is is so incredible it's so exciting it's gonna evolve over the next few years i mean i just i don't want to die like I, <laughs> I really, I'm so excited to see where video games go because yeah. it's. Um, I don't think films are ever going to go away, but I also know that I believe I should say that there is a new generation of gamers um, that are that are going to be like, if it's not interactive, I, I actually don't want to 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 experience it. Yeah. Right. Um, and you can see as content is getting shorter and shorter and shorter in terms of sit down and watch um, and games get longer and get more elaborate and get deeper. You can see the two mediums diverging in such different directions. And you can imagine that people are going to expect moving forward that everything should have some sort of piece of interactive content in some sort of way. Um, Or the core experience itself needs to be interactive. That's actually why personally, although unrelated specifically to what I'm doing right now, I am, so hook, line, and sinker and deep into um, augmented reality. Yeah. Um, that is going to be, and I know like people, people can say whatever they want to say, but um, I was able to spend a week, you know, kind of drinking the Kool-Aid for HoloLens um, several years ago. And it was the most incredible eye-opening experience where as I was going through all these different things that they were showing me, I, I can't really talk about it, but I was learning new skills as a human being yeah. that, um, that I didn't have before. And that to me, as soon as you start introducing those tools into education, which makes learning fun again, um, 
I think that, I mean, there's going to be a huge AR revolution that's going to be happening soon. But let me let me shut up and let you ask another question because I, <laughs> I will just... The AR thing leads to, like, I think you're right because people are going to laugh at, like, oh, VR and AR and we're not there yet. And I don't think we're quite where we need to be, where it's easy for people to... It, it, it's, it's accessible. It works in fully in game design. There's still some incredible VR and AR experiences. But I had a similar... I mean, the development team, I was contract for their first game for Here They Lie, which is Sony Santa Monica game, and it was VR, and now I'm full-time. But at the time, I remember coming to that studio, I was in Sony Santa Monica, and I played that game for the first time, and it was my first VR experience. And I remember leaning over this balcony area and looking straight down and just seeing all the way down. And it was this kind of revolutionary moment. You know when you went from like a console generation to console generation? You go from like PS1 to PS2 or N64 to GameCube and you have this like, oh, I didn't even know this was possible moment where you're like, oh, I never even thought this was a thing. And it it's lessened over time where you go from PS3 to PS4 and you're like, oh, this looks better, but you don't have this, oh my God, I didn't know games could be this. VR was that moment for me where I looked down and I felt slightly nauseated, not in a bad, like, oh God, this game's bad. It was like, I didn't know a game could make me feel like this and give me this sense of perspective. And I'm assuming you had something like that with AR where your brain is seeing what games can do in a different way. And that's the kind of stuff that excites me because I remember those moments from, you know, from Super Nintendo to N64, then N64 to GameCube where you're like, I never even thought of this. And those, for you as a designer, when you have those moments, your brain has to be going in a billion directions of like, what could I do with this? Yeah, I mean, like, do you, do you read a lot of books? Yeah, I do, yes. Okay, so I don't read a lot of books, and I always get jealous of people <laughs> like you that do read a lot of books, right? Because uh, in general, people that read books from following the author's writing, right, uh, mm. to enhance their own writing, to being able to conceptualize and visualize through words um, creatively, right? And reading books does so much for you, right? Um the thing for me with AR was when I started realizing, okay, here's an example. Let's say, let's say the light bulb is not working, but you know, you put a fresh bulb in so that the bulb is not burned out. So instead what you're going to do is I'm going to teach you how to unscrew the light switch panel and then um, take a look at all the different cords that are in the back of a light switch panel and then see if they're frayed or not and replace them and, Hey, like when, when you're done with that type of experience and that's like a silly one, right? But when you're done with that type of experience, you've learned something new. And so it's like when I come home and this is the thing with the art people, when I come home, I don't actually know if I'm going to want to just relax every night as opposed to learn something new, learn a new experience, visit somewhere different, be being able to walk around and touch and feel and, um, and those types of things, they're they're extremely important. But for a lot of people, it's difficult because of you know just their overall accessibility. Like my oldest brother's handicap. One of the things that I've always wanted to do in AR is be able to um, have him have that experience. And you could do this in VR, but in AR, it's more impactful because he can have that experience of, for example, um, uh, playing catch um, with a dog or with an animal. Yeah. Um, and these are types of experiences. So they're interactive, right? So they're kind of video game related, but these are types of experiences that you can provide people that either enhance who they are as a person or enhance their well-being 
or enhance their their skills or allow them to do so many different things. And that's where I get super excited about where AR is. I think VR is fantastic too. What's what's the big issue with VR? Like, have, have we all addressed the elephant in the room? Do we all know what the issue with VR is yet? I mean, I, I feel like the main one right now is it's too expensive. And also you look goofy <laughs> as fuck when you're wearing a headset. So I think those are the two that stand out to me. So the biggest issue is like, it's fucking not social. Yeah, well, that too. Okay. <laughs> that, well, have you played those like that? There's that one game, I forgot Giant Bomb played it, where you are actually in like a social environment talking to people who are in other VR headsets and you could see them moving around. Like there's attempts no. at it being social, but you can't be social in the same room as people when you're wearing, again, a big goofy fucking headset. Right. So that's, I mean, to me, that's the biggest problem with VR. Where is VR? So then when you think about all the different, this is, again, I'm so proxying myself, but if you think about all the different places where VR could be super cool um, in a semi-social environment, it's really in film where VR, if you get everyone in a movie theater, right? And mm. everyone in VR having a limited amount of control going through a scripted type experience. Um, I think that could be cool because you could start having, you know, hey, we're going to have drinks beforehand and we're all going to go into the theater. We're going to do this VR experience and we're all going to talk about it afterwards. And how did we experience the scene? Like, I think that you could do something there, but video games are inherently social. Go back to the arcades, right? We were yeah. we were walking up to machines, two player games, putting fifty cents up on the uh, up on the up on the glass, and we we're playing the games either competitively or cooperatively. And as soon as I, all this stuff with VR started getting to, well, we're going to see what the game industry does with it, which I love and I appreciate because I think game developers and people in the game industry are the smartest people in the world, um, but. The fact that it's not social, inherently in a medium that has always been social. I mean, even to the point where, like, you know, the new Far Cry just came out. I sent out a tweet saying the first 15 minutes I felt all these emotions. It was incredible. Um, and it was fun. Um, but, like, I actually erased my save and replayed it again last night to somebody else. And that's to say that even though that's a single-player game, although I guess it is co-op, but even though it's a single-player yeah. game, like people still will sit and watch that and go through that experience with someone together. So video games have like always been inherently you know, something that, that you do with multiple people, and that's the, the problem with VR is that it just it isn't right now or someone has not cracked the nut on how to make it extremely social and fun to play with multiple people because as soon as you put that headset on, you, you're, in, you're in another dimension. People could fuck with you too. That's my main issue with it. Is I've yeah, had I mean, anyone could like tip me over on the chair. <laughs> they could yeah. do awful things to me. They can draw on my face. And you know what? I won't even blame them because it's my own fault that I got into VR in the first place. But like, it's social maybe for everyone around you to just laugh at you. Like, yeah. The only social aspect I have to it is again, this is a super unique situation. Having worked on a game in VR, if I am with a friend or starting to get to know a girl and she learns about what the hell I do, which is always a weird conversation but like if you put the headset on them and let you let them experience what you created or give them the opportunity to be like this is what games can do there yeah. is an aspect to that but usually they have a headset on or again you can't see the full impact on their face of what you're doing like there is i don't know how we get there maybe it is just hey you could put like these sunglasses on and that essentially gives you a vr view we're not close to that yet but yeah i think it's available i think it's something that's on the horizon and going back to the i don't want to die statement you had before i feel the same way because i want to right? know how this pans out like what is yeah. this 
what does this look like when yeah. eventually it fully works and you can get all of the great aspects of games into this? I've hit midlife. I was going to say, by the way, I think I've hit midlife crisis, right? If I'm saying that, uh, I don't think I've ever said those words before. <laughs> like, I don't want to die. So I think that's, I think that's like a checkbox for midlife crisis, right? <laughs> I'm happy we have those recorded. The first time you ever said, yeah. I, I hope I don't die soon. It's right on this podcast. <laughs> I promised you an hour. We've been talking for like an hour and a half, close to two hours. I'm so sorry. No, I I love it. And what this conversation made me think at the end of this is uh, I, I want to make a proposal to you. I'm moving to L.A. in May. Um, yeah. I'm going to make video games for the first time. I would love to grab a beer with you. Yeah. And after that, I, I would love to record another podcast once you're able to publicly talk about what you're working on because I would love to know more about it. And I would love to get more advice for you, from you about how to make games and what it's like being a developer. Oh, it would be, I am flattered and would be honored um, to, to speak with you again and, um, you know, uh, have your community here for me. Thank you for that opportunity. I will completely take you up on it for sure, bro. Let's do that. <laughs> <laughs> That's so great. Do you, th okay. And this is, again, I'm not trying to get you to spoil anything. Are you able to talk about what you're doing this year? I hope so. Um, the reality is, is that I don't get to make that decision. Right? Okay. Um, my my my, uh, my role is um, uh, leading the 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 production and the operation of um, what it is that we're putting together. Um, the person who's in charge of marketing and PR and that type of stuff would would need to answer that question for you. So um, okay, I I don't know um, if it were up to me. You know, it's like as game developers, we want to talk about what we're working on as I soon know. as we can. But there's always a uh, there's there's always a right way in, uh, to to announce what you're doing. So, yeah, I I don't know, but it's um it's really cool. If I can just for a second, um, thank for you it. so much um, for for this opportunity. Um, it's been uh, it's been a wild uh, year and year and a half or so um, that all this has been going on, and I, it, it's really tough. Like when you when you go off on your own and you, know, you do the the startup thing. There's a lot of challenges that come with that, and one of them that people don't think about is, and this sounds kind of sad, and that, I don't know, it all ended on a positive note. But that, <laughs> it's like uh, you get incredibly lonely. Yeah. Um, so the fact that um, you reached out and the community reached out and said you should talk to JV uh, it meant the world to me. It was a huge shot in the arm because you get lonely, you see shadows, you know, you're living under a rock, all, all that kind of stuff, and um, you. You don't want to be forgotten and you think that you, you have a lot to offer people. So thank you for the opportunity to to be here to speak with you, um, share some passion, share some experience and um, have your community here um, from me as well. So I just it means the world to me. So when we do meet up for beers, it's beers on me <laughs> because I, uh, I owe you. So thank you for this opportunity. Let me tell you this. Even if my community didn't ask me to talk to you, I would have wanted to talk to you because as someone who was in the media before and had considered development, you were someone who I was like, I want to be as passionate about making shit for people as Johnny is about making shit for people. <laughs> so like I, you're someone who I've seen on all these streams and whether it be tweeting out phone numbers or doing crazy stuff, I always knew like, you are a serious business dude who loves this shit. And that's yeah. the kind of stuff for <laughs> well, someone thanks. like me that that means a lot. So I'm going to guarantee this is only part one and we're going to do another one of these because I have a billion more questions for you. Oh, um, dude, thank you. Oh, that like, means so much. I, it's, you were someone who, again, like I look up to as someone who's trying to get into this for the first time. And again, who is terrified, who doesn't know. Like 
you everyone has that's complex when you get into this right where you're like I, the imposter syndrome where like am i gonna be good enough but i see people like you i talk to people on this podcast all the time who make me think like no i like i'm going to shoot to be as passionate about this as someone like you as someone like all these people i've talked to so we're gonna make this part one we're gonna do part two we're gonna actually meet in person and uh i am unbelievably excited to hear that you're as happy and in such a good spot as you're in right now and i know that you're dying to talk about what you're doing and i can't wait for when you can actually be open about that and i have a feeling everyone who listens to this is going to be excited about that too i hope so i mean it's like finally professional and personal life are like feeling equal and feeling good yeah. so yeah. we know the, we know how this ends for me typically though where i basically <laughs> fall down face first and don't say that no, no 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 it's you fucking you've had enough highs that it's, it, you fall sometime this is this is gonna be the one i feel no, confident i, I was like, like the one of the coolest people that reached out to me throughout this is phil rosenberg who runs third party for for sony and he was like by the way don't you ever forget johnny v that you know uh, disney wasn't your high that wasn't the end of you. That wasn't it. There's more. Don't ever think that you're you're done and it's over. And um, in in a, in a really vulnerable moment for him to swing in and say that um, helped me kind of um, you know stand up, show my leadership, uh, you know, pick up my bat and my ball, and um, go back into it. So um, yeah, it's it's been awesome. So thank you for this opportunity and thank you for everyone that that listened. And if there's anything I can do. Um, for you or for anyone that's listening, just please give me a shout because we are part of an incredible industry. We are all creative and fun and smart. And um, even if we do do dumb things like tweet out phone numbers, <laughs> if there's ever anything I can do to anyone that's an aspiring game developer uh, to help them you know, make better games or make better product or even just be a shoulder to, to lean on and to listen to, please, because I happen to have really great people around me that help raise me in games. And I want to return that favor to to um, aspiring game developers um, as as life goes on. So yeah, awesome rock and roll. We should this hang was, up. This <laughs> is the most inspiring podcast I've done in recent memory. I'm gonna go Aww. run a marathon after this. This is great. Um, yeah. So <laughs> or yeah. Or take no. a shower in my case because I'm just. <laughs> such a sweaty podcast uh no thank you so much for doing this i really appreciate you taking the time and again i uh, can't wait to actually meet you in la can't wait to hear all this stuff thank you everyone for listening again for all the suggestions because i've gotten a thousand please get john Vignaki on this podcast so uh thanks everyone for listening hopefully tune back in for the next episode and part two of this podcast of the 1099